And I'm kind of excited because we're like into summer now, right? It's June, we're past Memorial Day. And one of the ways I knew that we're into summer is a couple weeks ago, I had to get our camper out. We have this perfected 1993 fifth wheel. It's old as the hills, but it's what we go camping in. And I get this thing out, and if you have ever done the camper thing, you know you got to get it ready, like empty the tanks, fill it up with water. And so I'm out in my yard plugged in, filling it up, and I turn the pump on to pump water through the thing, and nothing is happening, but I can hear the pump running, but no water is coming out of the faucet. And I'm like, what is going on? So I, got, I walked out of the camper, shut the door behind me, and I looked underneath the camper, and in the back end, water was just pouring through the floorboards onto the ground of the back of the camper. And of course, I panic because we're trying to keep this old thing going because I don't want to buy anything new because we're relatively cheap people. And I run back up the steps of the camper and I grab the metal handle of the camper door and I immediately was riding the lightning in that moment. What I mean by that, the whole camper had become electrified because the water was pouring through the electrical box and I'm just like, uh, I mean, it's just hit me like crazy, right? And so I let go and I'm like, I got to get this thing turned off and this is how smart the lead pastor of Lifehouse is I grabbed the door handle again and I'm like oh and I, and I had to pry my hand off it and of course then I got a little bit smarter and I thought why don't I go into the garage and unplug the plug out of the wall things shut down what had happened is the hot water heater had just blown up and ripped a hole in it and it was just pouring out all over the camper floor we got that all figured out but in that moment when I grabbed onto that door handle I mean the question I asked is what is really going on here because I should not be getting electrocuted by the door of my camper, right? What is really going on here? And I thought about that with my camper, but I also thought about that with kind of the world we're living in right now. Because you know this, and we probably have all heard this too many times, 2020 was really hard. And I don't like to talk about it too much because I'm kind of tired of guys that do what I do, saying about how hard 2020 was, but it was hard. And 2021 is looking a little weird too. We had all this stuff with you know, pandemics and vaccines and masks and political wars and racial stuff going on. And everybody seems so mad. And you know this, and we've talked about this in here. Everybody thinks they're right. And the other side are all idiots. I mean, that's just kind of perspective we all have. But what's, what's going on? And that's why I wanted to do this series called Heaven and Hell and Everything in Between. And I need to give you a heads up. That as we ask the question, what's really going on, what we can see and what we can't see, I want to do this here because I want to press into some stuff when it comes to heaven and hell and everything in between. What's going on in our lives and in our world right now? But also, what's been going on in history for thousands of years? And what can't we see that maybe we at least need to consider is happening? And I thought it would be really healthy for us to go back to the beginning. When this whole thing began on earth because in the beginning in the beginning of time man was created Moses like let my people go Moses he documents he wasn't there but he documents inspired by God's very spirit the whole creation story and Moses when he wrote this he had one goal and that was to reintroduce the Israelites God's people back to God because the Israelites they had been a slave nation under Egypt and they become pagan um, idol worshipers. And they had all these false gods. And now they're wandering in the desert and Moses is leading them. And he's trying to reintroduce them to God. And I want to read the beginning story. Now as I do that, I do not want you to get hung up on 
how the beginning happened. For some of you, you're like, hey, it was seven days, it was seven days, it was seven days. That's how many days it took. And some of you are like, it was much longer or somewhere in between. You are more than welcome to have that conversation over lunch and think about it and read about it and research about it. But for right now, in the next few moments of us being together, as I read this, I don't want you to focus on how it happened. I want you to focus on who was behind it happened and why things are the way they are. Because Moses tells us that in the beginning, God, that's the who, created the heavens and the earth. And before that, he tells us what existed. Before that, um, the earth was formless and empty and darkness covered the deep waters. And this is pretty fascinating. It's just not like it's dark for dark's sake. It's dark because there's an absence of something good in it. It's chaotic. It's ugly. And I think all of us would say, you know what? I've had experienced just a little bit of that in my life. There's been some times in my life because of my decisions or other people's decisions, it just kind of feels chaotic and it feels really dark. Then he goes on to say, back up, back up just a minute. And darkness covered the deep waters and the spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the water. And then he gives the alternative to that, that God's spirit was hovering over the water. And this word spirit, it can be translated as spirit or wind or breath. John, when he introduces Jesus to the world and the Gospel of John, he talks about Jesus being the Word, and the Word was in the beginning. It's another translation it's that Jesus was actually there in the beginning, and he was part of separating the chaos of darkness and disaster from the light. And look what happens. Moses tells us then, God said, let there be light in the middle of the chaos. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good because it was good. Now, side note, every time God's light comes into a situation, it is good. It's not always easy, but it is good. And then he separated the light from the darkness. I mean, it's pitch black. It's chaos. And God brings order to the chaos of whatever was going on. And he said, that's really good. And each day God created things. And when you read the story, every time he created something, he would say, now that's good. I created the sun and the moon and the stars, and that's good. I created the fish of the sea, and that's good. And I created man, and that's good. But what's interesting when you read the story on day two, he does some mighty strong work, but he doesn't really say it's good. And there's a reason for that. Look what we're told. Then God said, let there be a space between the waters to separate the waters of the heavens from the waters of the earth. Now, when it talks here about the waters of the heaven, it doesn't necessarily mean like heaven where the angels and God reigns is. It simply means the sky and the stars and the cloud and the earth below. And let's separate that. And then he goes on. He says, and that is what happened. God made the space to separate the waters of the earth from the waters of the heaven. Now, it's really important to notice that God in this moment doesn't necessarily say this is good. Because there's a recognition that there's brokenness in the world. That in this point, that chaos, that darkness is a result of something. It's a result of sin and rebellion. And this is maybe a new thought for you because a lot of us were taught, you know, sin came into existence in the garden with man. But it didn't. It came in long before that. Sin entered our world through man and the tree of life. But it didn't, wasn't in existence at that point because long before the Garden of Eden, and maybe you've heard about that in Sunday school, long before that, there was a governance war. And this governance war started in heaven. And maybe you've heard this. 
I just want to touch on it for a moment. I don't have time to be real thorough with it. But there was an angel in heaven, and his name was Lucifer. And I'm sure you've heard that name. And what I'd love for you to do is every movie you've ever seen and every TV show with Lucifer in it, just push that aside. Because when this whole thing started, Lucifer started out as a covering cherub. This is fascinating to me. Which literally meant he sat next to the law or the order of things in heaven. And he protected it and he guarded it. And he was part of order because God had brought order to everything. Because God's way is higher than everyone else's way. And there was a clear authority. God was the authority and everything else was below God. But this is what happened with Lucifer, this covering angel. He had a desire to be like God. And not like God, like, hey, I want to be good and kind and generous like God. No, he wanted to be God. And in that moment, a governance war started out because Lucifer decided, like so many of us have decided in our lives, I don't want to be told what to do. I don't want anyone else to rule me. I want to rule me. And that is in every one of us. And listen, it doesn't matter if you're liberal or conservative or somewhere in between. None of us wants to be ruled. We all want to be our own authority. And here's the amazing thing. Apparently God gave Lucifer the ability to choose freely what he wanted to do. And he chose to defy God. And here's what was going on. In this governance war, denying God's authority is defying the fundamental order of all things. Now, hang in here because we've experienced this, right? When we don't follow God's order of things, we've all experienced like, hey, my life kind of turned upside down. And even if you don't believe, there's a sense in us that when we go down certain paths, our lives get turned inside out. But some of us that recognize God in our lives, we'd say, yeah, I rebelled against what God would want in my life, and I face chaos And I faced brokenness. And my world was like gut-wrenchingly painful. It's so interesting that Lucifer is just like us. He wanted his own way. But you have to understand this. There was not a power struggle in heaven that day. Because God was clearly the authority and the power of heaven. And I was thinking about this, and I'll tell you a story some of you have heard me tell. tell, um, Back in the day, I I was a wrestler in college, and no one wants to hear about my wrestling days, but I love to talk about my wrestling days, and I've got you captive. So I'm going to tell them about my wrestling days, right? So I'm a 190-pound wrestler at a Division I school back in college, and I was okay at it. But we had a heavyweight. He was an African-American young man. 260 pounds, six foot three, and he was a pure all-American animal. And I thought I was pretty good at what I did, and then he would just pick me up and throw me on my head anytime he wanted to. He was like a human being from another world. So anyway, Capacci was my friend. He was a junior. I was a freshman. We were buddies. One night, we're out at a club. Now, can you imagine the 19-year-old version of Matt Brown at a club in the late nine, late 80s? Here's what was great about Capacci. Thanks for the laughter down here. That's great. Here's what was great about Capacci. He was an African-American black man, and I was a white kid, and neither one of us could dance. And all of our black teammates made fun of both of us because we'd be on the other side. You know, it was just great, having a great time, just me and Capacci. Um, So we're at this club, we're hanging out, probably not doing some things we should do. And three guys started to mess with Capache, three white guys. And I don't know if it was racially driven. They just thought, let's pick on the big guy. And they they started to mess with him and it got kind of nasty. It kind of got a little racial. And my other buddy says to me, hey, should we do something about this? And I looked at my buddy and said, he does not need us. He's fine. 30 seconds later, 
it got to the boiling point, and I kid you not, there were three white guys flying in every direction of the room. It looked like that scene from the Avengers where the Hulk has Loki, and he's just beating them on the floor. And in like 30 seconds, it was all over. These three guys are out in Capache, and he had this kind of high-pitched voice like Mike Tyson. He goes, you guys ready to go now? I mean, it was the funniest thing. And I tell you that because there was no struggle for power in that club that night. Whenever this happened in heaven, there was no struggle between Lucifer and God. It was clearly God who had the authority. And because of that, chaos ensued in Lucifer's life. And about a third of the angels, if you read the story, a third of the angels and Lucifer were cast out of heaven. I'm not sure where it goes from there. I had to do some research on that. But Lucifer resurfaces later, and he resurfaces in the Garden of Eden when man was created. And at this moment, there's a governance war. But this governance war is around denying God's authority by rejecting one single command. One. And that was simply this, don't touch that tree. Don't eat off that tree. Not 10 commandments, which came along later. Not 600 commandments, which were developed along the way. But just one. And this is the interesting part of this story to me, because this so represents me, and I'm guessing you. You have it all. You got all the land and all the animals. You can go to the mountains, you can go to the beach. It is all yours. You can walk with God in the cool of the day. Your marriage is going to be perfect. If you have babies in the garden, they'll change their own diapers when they're teenagers. They won't fight with each other. It's just going to be perfect. You have it all. I'm just going to ask you one thing respect the governance, don't touch the tree. And then Satan shows up, and Satan's crafty. And he leans into his motivation to pull Adam and Eve out of their relationship with God. And this was the motivation. Hey, God said don't touch that. Are you sure he said don't touch that? Are you sure? Okay, did God really mean what he said? Hey, what if, I'm I'm not saying this is true, but what if by taking what God told you not to take, you get to be like God and see like God. And Adam and Eve fell into the same trap we all fall into. I don't want to be governed by anybody. And apparently, again, God gives them free will to choose. We'll talk more about that as we go down this series for the next couple weeks. And here's why I think God gives us free will, if you want to know. Because I think without free will, you can't really love, and you can't really be adventurous, and you can't really worship a God that loves us. And I think our free will is a reflection of God's intimacy with us. But you may ask the question, okay, Matt, that's interesting. Thanks for the story. Got it all. But what does that have to do with me? Thousands of years later, and I would say it has everything to do with you and me because we recognize there are two forces at work. And there are two realms that are doing battle in these two forces. And in that, there is one reality. And we live in this reality with these two realms at battle against each other. And the reality is this, that there is a heaven and there is a hell. And God is building his kingdom And part of that is building it here on earth between you and I. And it's beautiful. But Satan also is building his kingdom. And the warning comes with this. Because for us, this is what we see. Our reality. Our presence. Our physicality. What we see happening every day. But what we don't realize is there's a whole other thing going on with what is unseen. That there's a heaven and there is a hell and everything in between. And heaven is dipping down into our world. And we bring hell up into our world also. 
when we decide I don't want to be governed by a holy God or a God that loves me. And you know this. There's some things that you see in our world that you go, hey, heaven's coming down on that. That dad is loving his kids. That's heaven coming down. That single person, they're living in a life of, you know, self-discipline and purity. That's heaven coming down. And then we see hell coming up. When things are blown apart and relationships are blown apart or we put ourselves in a place that we can't quite crawl out of our own hole and we literally will say, that's evil. And then we see some stuff that's just horrible, like sex trafficking. And we just go, that's just hell on earth. And there's a battle that's raging in the middle of it all. And here's my point, my friends. We're in the middle of it. And we have a part to play. The Apostle Paul comes along again thousands of years later And this is what he has to say about it in Galatians. Paul, who met Jesus face to face, he said, the sinful nature wants to do evil. Now, the sinful nature, you may have heard it put as the fleshful nature, the hellish nature, the evil stuff inside us. That's all he's talking about. Which is the opposite of what the spirit wants. And the spirit is that thing that God has given from his very being, the the presence of heaven in us. And the Spirit gives us desires that are opposite of what the sinful nature desires. So you have the sinful nature, the flesh, and the Spirit of God that dwells in us. Or a picture of heaven. Now look what he says. These two forces are constantly, it's a big word, isn't it? Constantly fighting each other so you are not free to carry out your own good intentions. And this is our reality. Have you ever got to that place where you're like, all right, I'm just going to be a good person. I don't really care what God says. I don't really care what my mom says. I'm going to be a good person based on what I think is a good person. And we just fail. And we find ourselves undermining our lives and other people's lives. Yeah, that, that's the battle. And then you've seen some people, maybe this is you, you found the best version of your family, the best version of you, you found the best version of your kids because you decide, God, I'm not going to be at war with your governance anymore. I'm going to make a choice. I'm going to make a choice, and my choice is going to be bringing heaven down into my life, and that's you because I've tried hell up, and that's awful. And every time we bring heaven down and we choose God's goodness versus his chaos, this is, this is what we find. It's described to us in the scriptures. Like patience, kindness. Can I ask you, even if you don't believe in this place, and I recognize you might not believe, is there anything better than kindness in a world that's not very kind when one more person puts one more nasty thing about someone else on Facebook? Do you think just a little more kindness would be good for us? Or one more disparaging thing behind somebody's somebody's back. Do you think a little more kindness would be better for us? And Christians, I'm on a tangent. Hang on. If you're doing that, you're not being kind. And you should stop. I did not mean to get that jacked up around that. But you should stop. How about goodness and faithfulness? Do we not want to see one more dad, one more mom be faithful? We celebrate it, we cheer it on, it's so good. Gentleness, man, I pray for that every day in my life because I have a propensity not to be gentle with people and self-control. You got a teenage kid, you want self-control in their lives. That is heaven coming down in their life. The other part is hell can come up. And hell looks like this, sexual immorality, impurity and greed and hatred and jealousy and drunkenness. Now, I'm going to press just a little bit, but as I say what I'm about to say, I want you to know I'm not pressing you on anything that I have not struggled with in my own life. For instance, 
sexual immorality. I told you my story two weeks ago about how that brought some hell up into my life. And here's the uh, governance of God. Here's God's created order of things. Sex is a beautiful, wonderful thing between a husband and a wife, save for the marriage bed. We have pushed that aside in our world. And I know what I'm about to say. You're going to maybe be like, hey, that's just old-fashioned. I know. It's really old-fashioned, like a billion years old-fashioned. But it's God, or- God ordained. And so we live in a culture that people that believe in Jesus just ignore it. Hey, I, I like you. Let's jump into bed together. Or, hey, I like you. We might get married someday. Let's shack up. Let's just jump into that thing. And it doesn't matter the consequences. It doesn't matter what God says. I'm governing myself. And we hear that all the time. And I'm not even mad at anybody about it. I, I just get tired of picking up the pieces around it. Not to mention, when you look at their research, when you look at what science says around people that have all these experiences, then get married, it makes their marriage so much more difficult because there's an order to our sexuality and there's an order to our marriages. Men, our world says in this day and age, hey, you got access, just look at some porn. Just look at some porn, man. It's all right, just look at that porn. Do you realize that every time you look at an image on a screen, a device, or a TV, you bring that person into your marriage and then you ask your wife to live up to what you saw at a compounding rate and it is completely unfair to your wife? Sexual morality is devastating our country. Do you think we have all the sex trafficking problems we have because it's just happening on its own? We are a part of the problem bringing hell up into our world. How about this? How about greed? I mean, we live in a world, and I'm pressing, so hang on. We live in a world where this is what we say. You want more, just take more credit. You want more, just take out another loan. And we know clearly that there's a principle that says the borrower is a slave to the lender. And when you borrow a bunch of money, you're a slave to who you borrow it for because you've got to pay them before you feed your kids or you lose your house and you lose your car. And it's turned us inside out. And that's why I'm so passionate about generosity Because every time I get 10, I'm giving one back to God, which is a pretty good return rate because it's all from him anyway. Because I don't want to get too greedy, and I can be super greedy. Look at what Paul also says. He says, I had the right to do anything. Isn't that cool? Here's some new news. If you're a Christian, we have amazing freedom. I have the right to do anything. You say, but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but I will not be mastered by anything. You see, if you need something to be okay in your daily day routine that's not prescribed by a medical professional, you might be getting mastered by something. If you're taking something or drinking something just to get through the day, you might be mastered by something. And you're flirting with darkness and the propensity is you can pull hell up into your family by that because you're living dependent on something other than your heavenly father who cares for you. And then addictions become unmanageable. How about this principle that's incredible when applied the right way? Jesus said, next slide, therefore what God has joined together, let no man separate. Is there anything more heaven-like when a couple, as hard as marriage is and as many mistakes as we make, decide we're going to stay in it. We're going to get counseling and we're going to fight it out. We're going to pray. We're going to stay in church. We're going to get through it one way or another. And on the other end, something happens. And it's beautiful. It's heaven coming down. Now, listen, we all have brokenness in some way in this area of our lives. So I don't want to hit too hard, but come on. 
Is there anything more heartbreaking when this goes the other direction? Can't tell you how many times I've sat across the table with someone and I just break for them. And I don't know how to help them. I don't have words and I can't pray it to be okay. It just hurts so badly. And the people literally say, I feel like I'm in hell now because something is broken that wasn't meant to be broken. And my kids are in it. It's just so heartbreaking. That's why we're trying to figure out how. How do we bring heaven down and keep hell where it is and not add any more of that? Because we don't want to see individuals hurting and heartbroken. And what it does to families and children and single people, we want to stuff that crap back down and let God have authority in our lives. And it all comes down to who's going to govern your life. It's a governance issue. Sure, you got to trust God, and sure, you got to put your faith in him, but then you got to say, God, you get to govern me, and I'm not going to make my own decisions. Now, maybe you're thinking this, because this is what I think. Okay, Matt, you've read to us about the Old Testament, what Moses says. This is a great question. What did Jesus have to say about this? It's interesting, because Jesus was asked one day, hey, Jesus, what's your central teaching? What's your worldview? How do you orient your life? And they asked it in the terms of how do you pray, but how do you pray just simply meant how do you see God? And this is how Jesus responded to that question about his worldview. And I think it should be, if you're a Christian, our worldview. Because Jesus says this. This is then how you should pray. Here's my worldview. Our Father in heaven. Now that may bother you that there's that language, there's like a father that's ahead. We'll talk more about that as we go. But what he is saying is God... You're in control. God, you're the guide of my family, my morality, my money, and you're the guide and you're the authority in my life. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. You're above all other things. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. God, let your order of things happen. Lord, I know how I'd like to do things. I want to move in. I want to take off. I want to spend that. I want to retaliate, whatever it is. But I want your order of things at any cost because I believe your path is good and you're good and you love me. So God, I'm inviting you to invade my chaos in every order. And listen, you know this, we just don't have to look very far in our own lives, especially mine, to realize I can create chaos like no one else in my own life. He goes on, he says, give us today our daily bread. And and I love the fact he alludes to food, but I think he's alluding to all things that are good. Like one of the things in what we're talking about today, give me my daily courage, God, because what I'm offering you is going to take courage and I don't have enough, so give me courage every day to walk through this and forgive us our deeds. And oh, don't, don't check out on me here because this is so important because we are not being called to perfection. What I'm talking about with you today, what I think Jesus is talking about is not beating your chest and saying, look how righteous and holy we are. We are perfect Christian people. That is not the point because we are gonna fail and we're going to fail often, and it's going to happen, and we're going to stumble. So God, as I stumble, forgive me. I'm going to keep trying to bring heaven down. I'm going to be led by you, but forgive me, because I'm going to need a lot of it. And you're, if you're listening to this, and you're like, all right, Matt, I've checked 20 boxes so far of where I failed. I just need you to know I could check 22 right along with you. That's why every day I'm like, God, you forgive me. 
still not the dad, the man, the husband, the human being that I want to be, but so forgive me. But I love this part. As you forgive me, back up just a second, back up. Also, we forgive others their debts too. Because nothing brings hell into our world like unforgiveness. Of a spouse, of an ex-spouse, of a dad, a mom, a friend, a pastor, anybody. When we decide I'm not going to forgive, I'm going to be bitter and angry, it just brings hell all over the place and this battle rages so God, forgive me and let me forgive other people. That's God, that's Jesus' worldview. And lead us not in temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Jesus' theme, his purpose, his worldview is God. You govern me and don't let me fall into the mess of hell because it's all around me. It comes up everywhere. And I'm offering you, God, the right to rule my Life where there's order and there's joy and the chaos gets pushed down. The question for all of us, and this is for all of us, but if you're a Christian, the question for you is, are you willing to bring heaven down? And how are you doing that? And you're not doing it perfectly, but how are you choosing to do that? And it starts with one simple step of God, I trust you enough to govern me. There's a popular way of looking at all these things in our world. Fine. I trust you. There's logic things, a way we can save money and do this and get all this out of life. I trust you. I'm going to forgive. I'm going to be generous. I'm going to have self-control. I'm going to view sexuality the way you do it. If you're a Christian, now if you're not a Christian, you still get to ask this question, but if you're a Christian, how are you doing that? I've been struggling with this for two weeks, living with this message myself. And if you're not a Christian, the only simple question for you is, would you like to do that? For all of us, the other question is, how are we bringing hell up in our lives? And right now, you may be sitting in your seat going, oh my gosh, I'm glad God loves me because I've been doing nothing but bringing hell up into my lives lately. And listen, I'm thrilled you're here. Let's just stop doing that. I don't want you to have any more pain. I don't want people around you to have any more pain than they absolutely have to. And we have a chance to change the directory of our world. And listen to this, we have the chance in this crazy modern age that we live in, to model this for our children. What if the next generation, oh my gosh, can you imagine if the next generation watched us do this well and what I'm gonna do what my mom did and my dad did. Even if you think it's too late, it's not too late. Today's the day we could say no more hell coming up. I'm bringing heaven down because the battle rages around us. And here's what I love about this idea of bringing heaven down. We don't even bring it down primarily. It came down on its own accord. If, if you don't hear anything else I said this morning, just hear this. That heaven decided it loved you enough to send its very best, its creator. The one that was there when chaos ensued and he brought light into it. Jesus came. And he gave everything for you and everything for me, even though we get it so wrong so often. And see, the question is, you know, are we going to win the, isn't, are we going to win the battle? Are we going to win this whole thing? And the battle's been won because heaven has come. It's just a matter of, are we going to let the Savior of the world govern our lives and have control of everything? Or are we going to keep bringing up the mess that destroys us? And your Savior would say, I love you more than you will ever, ever know. And I wanted you to walk in a path that's beauty 
It's patience and it's kindness and it's gentleness and it's self-control and you'll never regret it. It will not be easy, but you'll never regret it. And I will give you my very spirit and strength to do it. Now, as we wrap up today, and I know it's been a lot, I thought I would read to you something that Moses wrote. You remember Moses led the people out of Egypt? He's the one that wrote Genesis and told us the creation story. Well, in Deuteronomy 30, he's uh, facing the promised land, and he's not going to get in. But he tells the people something that I think is so encouraging. And they heard it before Jesus had come to this planet. We get to read it on the other side of Jesus rising from the dead and giving him us his very spirit and his strength. And this is what Moses says after all that he's taught his people. He says this, this command I'm giving you today is not too difficult for you. And it certainly isn't with Jesus' help. And it is not beyond your reach. It is not kept in heaven. Isn't that beautiful? It is not kept in heaven away from you. So distant that you must ask, who will go up and will bring it down so we can hear it and obey? No, the message is very close at hand. It is on your lips and in your heart so that you can obey it today, like today in this moment. I have given you the choice between life and death. I have given you the choice between life and death between blessings and curses. Now I call on heaven and earth to witness the choice you make. Oh, that you would choose life so that you and your descendants might live. You can make this choice by loving the Lord your God and obeying him and committing yourself to him. This is your key to life. Oh, that you would choose life Oh, that I would choose life. Oh, that my grown children would choose life and say, God, govern me. And if you've never told God, here's my life, it's simple. You simply get to say to Jesus, Jesus, I surrender to you. I believe that you died for my sins. Forgive me. My life is yours. Be the Lord and the boss of it. You can say that in any part of your life, and he will do it every time. For those of us that follow Come on, let's bring heaven down and push hell back in the name of Jesus. Let me pray for you. Dear Lord, thank you so much for the word and the governance you have in our lives. But I also recognize, Jesus, this is so much easier for me to say up here than actually do. Because it is a battle. But the battle has been won by you and your victory over death. So God, we ask for your strength. We ask for your encouragement. I ask for your forgiveness in my own life that I fail at this so much. But help us all to lean in to your kingdom, God, and what you're doing. And ultimately submit to you ruling our lives, even when it doesn't make sense. Thanks for your love and patience in all of our lives. Thank you for every person here that maybe they feel like they're just really rolling in the world of heaven today. Maybe they feel like they're just in the middle of a hellish situation, that your love doesn't change regardless of it because your love is true and right and you care for us as your children. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.